Keaton Cook has been on staff at Sugar Creek for the past two years, and now he's selling all he has to move his wife and toddler to South Asia and minister to the unreached people groups of the Himalayas. I had this moment where I saw my wife just on our living room floor where all of our things are spread out before her, and she has these six bags that she has to put all of our belongings in. And literally, she's picking up each item, and she's counting the cost the cost of following Jesus to the ends of the earth. And she's looking at it and have to decide if this is something that we're gonna take or if this is something that we're gonna leave behind. One night that Alicia and I were looking at the vaccine list, and it's long because it's a third world country where the diseases are rampant, where our son, our little baby boy, who's one year old, could get one of these diseases that could just take him out, could take his life. And with each each act, each moment where she was having to make this decision, it was an act of worship where I could see in her that, that God was strengthening in her inmost being this desire for Him more than anything else this world could offer. What we realized in surrender is that His presence meets us there. And more than anything else that this world could offer us, sense of security, entitlement, belongings, the presence of the one true triune God is greater than anything this world could offer. Well, hasn't it been wonderful this morning to have Julio back with us? Hasn't it been great? And Carla and the kids, we're so grateful that you're with us today. And I want your family to know, forever and ever and ever, we will always consider you Sugar Creek. That will never change. You are part of our family forever. You saw the video about Missions Month here. This is a very important month in our church. We have uh, really two offerings that we're taking during these days. And the last nine days of this month are very, very important to both of them. The first is our budget offering where every ministry in our church is taken care of. And that's pretty critical to us. The next nine days are very important and we encourage you to give. And then our missions offering because we need to reach that missions offering, we've got missionaries counting on us and individuals and ministries that are counting on us, and we need to reach that as well. There was a man who, uh, and I believe this is a, a true story, a man last year, at Christmas last year, who had a big long list of, of uh, people that were he, on his list to give Christmas gifts to. And you know, you get tired of going and finding all these presents all the time. And when Christmas came this time, he said, I'm going to take this one a lot easier. He decided that he would just send every person on his list a very generous check and just give them a check. And, and so he went and bought a Christmas cards and he, he labeled all the envelopes. And inside the card, every single one, he wrote exactly the same thing. You go and buy your own gift, and then he signed it. Well, he completed all that, went to the post office, put it in the mail, and 
his list was done, and he was so happy, so excited about it, all the pressure was off, and he went through Christmas and had a wonderful time, a wonderful celebration. And like most of us do, you know, you get to the end, Christmas night, and you sort of think back to all that you experienced in Christmas, and this guy was doing the same thing. He went into a study, and uh, there he, he started kind of cleaning out some things, and uh, he's had a lot of papers stacked up on his desk, and so he was working through all the papers until he was stunned and horrified because underneath papers was the stack of checks that he had intended to put in the Christmas cards that said, you go buy your own present. <laughs> I hope you did not do that this year. All three weeks, I've been taking us through sort of a, a Christmas survey, different questions about Christmas. So I've got three for you again today. This one is, if you're really brave and want to raise your hand, you can. How many of you are nervous about seeing some extended family members over the holiday? How many? Oh, oh. Wow, there are a bunch of hands up. Nervous people here. Here is the next one, and nobody raise your hand. Nobody raise your hand to this. No one. Raise your hand in your mind if you want to do that, but nobody raise your physical hand. How many of you get reminded every Christmas that there are members of your extended family who could really be a candidate for the Dr. Phil show? How many? Don't raise your hand. Is there still a Dr. Phil show? Is, there, is that still on? I'm, I'm out of touch. Here is the third question. This is a safe one. How many of you have a gift you're very excited about giving to someone else for Christmas? Oh, yeah, everywhere. I do too. I do too. Look, I'm going to tell you something. One of the great genuine one of the great loves of my life is giving gifts. I love it. I think about gifts. I think weeks out, what, what could I give? What is the perfect thing or things I could give to everybody that's on my list? And it means a lot to me. And I get the, I get the most fun watching people open their gifts. And there are sometimes I totally strike out. And there are other times that I hit a single or a double and a home run from time to time. But I absolutely love it. There is a passage of Scripture over these three weeks we've been working through together, and it's in Isaiah chapter 9. And actually, one of the verses now that we've reached in this, in this uh, series uh, that we started on last week, and I'm going to finish it here on this Sunday, is Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, because it is one of the greatest prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. It is absolutely amazing. We hear this, don't we? We, we, see, we hear this in songs. We did it today. We, we heard a song. We sang a song that had these words in it. And we hear it, uh, the verse quoted many times, and it simply says this, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, which means that he will rule and reign, and he shall be called. That's the name of the series. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince 
of peace. I don't know if you've noticed, but the last three weeks, this one included, we did not have student notes that are in the worship guide. We always have them, but we haven't then this time. Because I was trying to take some pressure off of our print shop, they are under a lot of, have been under a lot of pressure to get ready for Christmas. But actually, you don't need that. If you've got your cell phone, you already have the Sugar Creek app downloaded. And if you opened up that app and you look at the bottom black bar that's back there, all you do is go to the heart, worship, and you click it, go to coming message, and there's the message notes. And if you open those up, there's blanks in there. There are blanks, and you're going to see us put the answer to the blanks up on the screen, and all you have to do is touch the blank, and boom, you can fill in the blank yourself. You say, well, but what about the last two weeks? Well, if, I'm glad you asked that question, if you look at that bottom bar and you go to info and you go to messages and you go to Christmas, there they are for the last two weeks. And guess what? All the blanks are already filled in. Yay, God. Okay, there we go. You haven't missed one thing. And the first blank I want you to fill in this morning is this. And he shall be called Mighty God. When Isaiah, in the Jewish Bible that we Christians call the Old Testament, when Isaiah was writing these words, he must have been absolutely stunned. But yet he was faithful to write what the Holy Spirit had spoken to his heart to write. He knew there was only one God, but how is it that unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he will be called the mighty God? And those people who must have read what Isaiah wrote must have said to Isaiah, have you lost your mind, man? How could you have written this? So what does it mean? What does mighty God mean? Well, the word mighty is a word in Hebrew that actually means hero. We would call him a superhero in our culture today, but a hero. He is someone who comes to the rescue of others who are in need. If you have a need that you cannot meet, he reaches down and touches your life. He is the hero. If there is a defense you cannot make, he comes and makes that defense on your behalf. He comes to your rescue. Like Moses in the Old Testament delivered the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and Joshua, the great hero that brought the people of Israel into the promised land and King David who was, one of the, who was the greatest king of Israel. All three of these are heroes in the Bible. But this one, this child who will be born, this son who will be given will be greater than Moses and Joshua and David and even rolled up in one. For he will be the mighty God. The mighty God. The name of God that is used all through the Old Testament is the word El, E-L. All through the Old Testament. Every reference of El is talking about the one and only God. 
There are other times in which they talk about false gods made of stone, made of wood, but, but never are they assigned the name El. The only one in the Old Testament that has ever assigned the name El is the one and only God. And yet, here is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given, and his name will be Mighty El. He uses E-L to describe the Messiah, the Mighty God. The son who will be born in Bethlehem will not just represent God, he will be God come in the flesh. This is what Isaiah is saying. What God will do in Bethlehem will be the unthinkable. On that night, God leaves heaven and takes on human flesh to become our mighty God who lives among us. He becomes, he comes as our mighty God who comes for us on our behalf. When Jesus began his ministry, he grew up in Nazareth, as you know, and he began his ministry, the early parts, going back to Nazareth and speaking in the synagogue, and he reads a passage of Scripture about the Messiah, another passage that Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and listen to what he says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And then he closed up that scroll and he said to everyone that was there, this prophecy that they all knew was a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. This prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears today, declaring himself as the Messiah. Jesus, think about him, came to help the poor. He came to heal the blind, to restore the lame and the sick. He came to set every one of us in this room free from the chains of our own sin. He is the mighty God who came for us with us in mind. This is what Isaiah is saying. Second, Isaiah said, and he shall be called the everlasting Father. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. The strange just got stranger. Honestly, as a Christian, and you're reading this, and he'll be called the everlasting Father. You see, Christians have for all of our history believed in only one God. We don't believe in three gods. No Christian group has ever believed in, truly Christian group has ever believed in three gods. We believe in one God. There is only one God but one God who has shown Himself in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we get that part. We've been taught that it's all through the Word of God. But we know that he, Jesus is God the Son. 
So why is he being called everlasting father? I got to tell you, early in my ministry, that I did not understand it. It really bugged me, and I finally got the opportunity to spend some time just looking at the Hebrew words and what they mean, and the best translation of everlasting father is, is this. It is, he is called the father of eternity. That's what it actually is saying, the father of eternity, the originator, in other words, of everlasting, of eternity. The Bible calls Jesus the creator. Did you know that? The Bible talks about Jesus as being the creator. And the one who created everything also created eternity. And Isaiah is saying that. Listen in the New Testament. What one of the disciples of Jesus said about him, John, who saw everything Jesus did, he was right by his side all the way through. And John writes in John chapter 1, verse 3, through Jesus, all things were made. What things were made? All. Through Jesus, all things. Through Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And the apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, listen to what he says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He doesn't represent the invisible God. God cannot be seen with human eyes. But God took on a body and came to this earth. Or rather, he came to this earth and took on a body. And now Jesus, when you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. That is what he is saying. The firstborn over all creation. He didn't say the firstborn of creation. He said the firstborn over all creation. The word firstborn in the Greek language means greatest or preeminent. There are examples in both the Old and New Testaments of individuals who were born first but not called firstborn because it is a child later on who becomes preeminent, who, who is the greatest. And, and so there have been some cases in both Old and New Testament in which that exists. And this is how he is putting it. He is talking about Jesus being the preeminent over all creation. How do I know that is the right interpretation? Because he begins in verse 16 playing off of that idea when he says, for by Jesus all things were created. He created what? All things. He created all things. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before. Now, here's what he's doing in verse 17. He's sort of going back to verse 15, the preeminence over all creation, and he's sort of duplicating that statement by saying, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is exactly what God whispered into the ear of Isaiah. 
that must have blown his mind, stunned him. This one who would come unto you, a child is born, unto you a son is given, and he will be mighty God and the Father of eternity. This is what he is saying to us. In the birth of Jesus, everlasting steps into time, forever becomes temporal in a body. One who is infinite becomes an infant. He actually steps into your story, into your difficulty, into your pain, into your questions, into your needs. So God is not some distant God way out there so far. I can't reach him. I don't know him. I can't have a relationship with him. He's so other. No, that God has come to us, taken on a body, come and lived among us to feel what we feel, to experience what we experience, and then to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rise again from the grave. And that God has said, I want to come and now live inside of you. I want to know you and you know me. I want to have a relationship with you forever. This is what the coming of Jesus Christ said to us, showed us. The Father of all eternity came to live in our heart. And one more thing he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, and the Prince of Peace. That word peace that he uses is the Hebrew word shalom, and it means peace, but It is so much deeper and so much broader than the word peace. In our language, in the English language, when we say the word peace, well, I hope everything goes fine with you. I hope you're peaceful and I hope everything's great inside of you. But shalom means far more than that, far deeper than that. It is talking about fulfillment in life and purpose of life and and loving life. And having peace to the core of your being, to have peace with God, to have peace with others, to have peace with yourself. He came to be the prince of shalom, that depth of peace. To be the prince of peace means to be the originator of it, to, to mean, means to be the author of it, to, to be the provider of it. He came to be your prince of peace. So how do you get this? How do you have this fulfilled life? And how do you have purpose in your life? And how do you come to peace within yourself and with others and with God? How do you come to a place of actually loving life? It is always from the prince of peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 puts it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the prince of peace. Have you come to know Jesus as your Savior? Have you given your heart to him? Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your life? It's the way you get 
this forever peace. For the Prince of Peace comes to live in you. Let me tell you what he didn't say in that verse. He didn't say that you will have now an absence of pain and you will have an absence of disappointment and you will have peace because he'll remove all the problems of your life. No, this is peace in the midst of pain, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of difficulty. This is what Jesus was talking about when he says, I give you a peace that the world cannot take from you. And no problem that you experience can ever remove from your life. And this is what God offers you today. Would you come this morning and, and give your heart to Jesus Christ, the mighty God, the Father of eternity, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, and I pray, Lord, for every person in this room, because in this room there are many who are here that need you so desperately to give their heart to you, to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And, oh, God, I pray that this would be the moment, the day of their salvation, that today they would say yes to you. I pray, Father, for those in this, this church, this worship center today that you've been speaking to their heart about joining Sugar Creek Baptist Church, being a part of this fellowship. This place just feels like home. And I pray, Father, that this would be the day they said yes. Move in our hearts today that we might align our life with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.